This is yours, and this one's yours. You are gonna love this. Go ahead, dive in. Okay, you got this. Smile. Mm. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. Head nod. There you go. What? Barbaric! Who eats chips like that? And doesn't he realize he has cilantro in his teeth? Okay, okay. Deep breaths, Dave. Why, why am I being so critical? Dave? Is there something on your mind? No. No, 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 I, I, I'm fine. Sure. It's not me, is it? No! <laughs> I do really wish that those two men could get a grip on their lives. First, we had the issue of our last series, Tug of War, and they still can't sell their, their food stuff. So I'll be praying for them. Uh, I am sure uh, they'll get along better as the series goes on and they learn how to get a grip on their thinking and their feelings. But I do have to say that uh, Colin does have some rather bad eating habits, uh, which I'm sure does not exist over at Edina with Justin or down at Loring Park with Donna. I'm sure they eat so well as worship leaders. But uh, welcome to our brand new series, Get a Grip. And I wish you could have been with me a few days ago. I was in Kolkata, India, and uh, we were in traffic, congested traffic, and uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of cars everywhere, and walking up and down the streets randomly are cows and water oxen, and, uh, or buffalo, I should say, and uh, no car there, by the way, has, is scratch-free or dent-free. Every car has scratches and dents, and I found out why, because uh, somebody hit our uh, rear tire of the car I was riding in, the Jeep I was in, and uh, there was never any danger, because traffic speed there is about five to seven miles an hour, and um, it happened, and it happened so often that our driver didn't even say a whole lot until the car that hit us in the rear left tire pulled out in front of him and stopped. And the gentleman got out of the car and came to our car and began to yell at our driver. And then our driver got out and began to yell at him. And for 10 minutes, while, and we were like a rock in the midst of a swift current, you know, everything's parting around us. For like 10 minutes, they're just screaming at each other as loud as they can. And uh, I was ready to kind of uh, roll the window down and say, guys, get a grip. But they would have understood a thing I meant. And so 10 minutes later, it ended. Our guy won because he was bigger and louder. And uh, the only embarrassing thing was that tattooed across his windshield was Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I thought, that's just not really a great witness because I don't know what he was screaming, but it probably wasn't uh, scripture. 
But uh, I am sure, I am sure there have been moments in your life when you have wanted to scream at somebody, get a grip, may have been to your children, may have been to your spouse, may have been to your coworkers, may have been to the students, may have been to the teacher, may have been to the politicians, I mean, any number of people. And I'm sure there's times in your life when you've thought to yourself, I need to get a grip. I don't mean me. I mean you, talking to yourself. I need to get a grip on my own emotions, or I need to get a grip on you know, what I'm thinking right now and how I'm feeling or how I'm behaving. And uh, certainly as we look at our culture today, it's an overwhelming sense that, that we just seem to be losing control at all levels. And you just want to yell sometimes when you watch the news and see what's going on. Hey, America, get a grip. I mean, the hatred we see today and uh, the violence that we see today and now all the sexual misconduct. I mean, watching the news right now is almost like pornography when you hear and see about all the things that are taking place. And so the big question that rises in our minds is, why do we have such a hard time getting a grip on our thoughts and getting a grip on our emotions? And the two are related directly to each other. What we wanna do in these two weekends is kind of answer those questions. I wanna talk this weekend specifically about getting a grip on my thoughts because if you don't do that, then you'll never get a grip on your emotions, and we'll cover that one next weekend. So cancel all your Thanksgiving plans if you're gonna be gone next weekend, and make sure you're here because of all the emotional upheaval that we see in, in the world today. And in order to understand what's going on, we've gotta, we gotta start with the genesis of it all, and that literally does take us to the book of Genesis. So I want you to turn open the book of Genesis to chapter three. We're gonna do some uh, board work so I hope you brought your Crayolas with you because you never know when we're going to do that and get a piece of paper out because I want you to draw uh, with Dale uh, this weekend. And those of you at Loring Park and Edina, I'm glad you're with us as well. And I want you to be a part of this uh, as well as those of you who are watching online. Now, we're going to cover some things I've talked about in the past. And, and so I don't want you to check out as soon as you see me doing that. We're going to build on it. We're going to say some new things that we haven't really talked about before. So uh, grab your pen and, and paper, and uh, I almost drew on the TV. And uh, I, I want you, first of all, just draw a big face. And I don't know what you're drawing up, but you're going to need some room to the left and the right of it to be able to write. All right? So uh, I'm going to begin, and, and I'm going to draw my, my big face on the board here. And uh, I should have told you uh, the face you're drawing is your own, so be nice, okay? All right? And then you're going to give yourself a really big, big head, all right? And uh, then give yourself, you know, a smile. Unless you're not you know, feeling up to smiling this weekend, then, then you can give yourself a frown, okay? But uh, there's a reason why you've got a big head. That's because I want to talk about the mind. And I want to take some words from the late philosopher Dallas Willard as he describes what the mind is like. So at Loring Park, uh, Loring Park I want you to write this in, in your mind. Uh, in our mind, we, when we talk about thinking, it really is composed of three things. And the first thing it's composed of are our thoughts, all right? So just write thoughts. And I know how to spell thoughts, but I don't have a lot of room, so I'm going to abbreviate, okay? All right? So thoughts. And the question is, what are, what are our thoughts, right? And our thoughts are, are, are all the ways we are conscious of reality, all the ways we're conscious of everything that is around us. You know, Researchers estimate that we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day, all right? And 
many times we don't even know the thoughts that we're having, okay? That's about 35 to 38 a minute. Our mind is always, always going. Thoughts coming in and out of it constantly, all right? Then what happens, we also have ideas in our mind, all right? Ideas, that's part of our thinking. And, and I, ideas are a collection of our thoughts about a specific thing, all right? It's, um, it's our perception or our perspective of, of something. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. And then lastly, we have images. Hence, we talk about our imagination. So when we think about the mind, the mind is composed of thoughts, our thoughts collected about something, ideas, and then our images are the expressions that we give toward those ideas that we have. So for instance, we may have thoughts about being grateful, about being thankful, about being appreciative about uh, the freedom that we, we have, and that might form an idea called Thanksgiving. Hey, let's have Thanksgiving. Let's uh, have a time that we come together and we'll have family and friends and we'll have food and we'll have pie, and pumpkin pie, yuck. That, how many of you like pumpkin pie? Wow. I, to me, it's like baby food that's been reconstituted. <laughs> and uh, I just... I, I just don't care for pumpkin pie, all right? Blueberry pie, apple pie. Anyway, I don't, I, that's, that's my thought about it anyway. Uh, and then we, you know, we talk about uh, the football game, right? Or, or something else. By the way, I was watching, I saw like a minute of the Wisconsin-Michigan game and Wisconsin scored the first touchdown and they panned right away to a little boy who had a Michigan ha uh, uh, cap on, stocking cap on with a big M on it. And as soon as he scored, Wisconsin scored, this kid broke out in this terrible cry. I mean, the, 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 the tears are just streaming down his face. He's only like seven or eight years old. And you can tell he's visibly shaken that Wisconsin has scored. And I yelled at the screen, get a grip! But anyway, uh, and then we, have, then we have images. And I'm a Michigan fan, so. Uh, and then we have images. And for Thanksgiving, that's what? The turkey, right? So that's just a quick example of how thoughts, ideas, and images go together. Well, in the very beginning, what informed our thoughts, our ideas, and our images? Because it's not, it's not like we just had them. You're not, it's not like you're born and it's just all there. Our thoughts, ideas, and images are a result of influence that comes into our mind. Well, in the very beginning, it is God who influences our thoughts, our ideas, and our images. And he influenced that with love and with truth, right? So God's love influenced our thoughts, ideas, images. God's truth that he revealed to us informed our thoughts, ideas, and images. And what that yields is that when I then look at the environment around me, or when you know, we can put it this way, when I think about God, right, or when I think about myself, or when I think about others, or when I think about nature, et cetera, et cetera, I'm thinking about God, I'm thinking about myself, I'm thinking about others, I'm thinking about life, nature, based on God's love and God's truth. That's a great way to look at life. And that's how Adam and Eve saw life and thought about life in the very beginning. And then something really terrible happened, and that's why I want you to turn to Genesis 3 with me and listen to what it says beginning in verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So what I want you to do now is I want you to write under God. I want you to write serpent, okay? The serpent comes along, okay? And he begins to try to influence their minds. But he influences their minds with H for hate, all right? And he influences their minds with L, not for love, but with lies. He hates God and he hates God's creation. And what he's got to do is he's got to get them to turn on God. And what better way than present his lies as truth and make God's truth sound like lies? Did God really say? In other words, think about this. If you were a good and loving God, would you tell your creation it can't have this beautiful fruit in the midst of the garden? Would you tell your creation that they're not supposed to worry about what's good and what's evil? Honestly, you're intelligent beings. God is keeping something from you. He's keeping Godhood from you. And we know what happened. We know that they believed the lie that he told. And as a result of that, and I don't have to do much to prove this, we now, we now have a very distorted view of God. We have distorted views of ourselves. We have distorted views of others. We have a distorted view of nature, period. And rather than looking at God and looking at myself and looking at others and looking at life through the context of God's love, selfless love, we look at it with a very selfish sense, which leads to hatred and bitterness and jealousy. So if you want to know what's wrong with the world today, all you got to do is, all you got to do is look at who are we listening to? And then think about the effect this had, Adam and Eve's choice had on their posterity all the way up until our day today. I want to read to you again from Genesis, but I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 6 for a moment and listen to what it says. It says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. This is verse 5. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was, cons was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Verse 11 says, Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. And maybe you missed it. Let me slow it down a moment. But in verse 5 it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined. Remember that? Everything they thought or imagined was evil, was was corrupted. Why? Because they're listening to the wrong source. We go on into the New Testament, and for instance, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, in the Living Translation, Paul says, For we are not fighting against the flesh and blood enemies, 
but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's, in, at least in our country, in a very sophisticated way, use the media and many other sources. Remember, Satan is the god of this world. And like he used the serpent to get at Adam and Eve, he uses many different means and methods to get into our minds and get into our hearts as well. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Do you hear what he said? He says, Satan has blinded the what? The minds, the minds of unbelievers, the minds of those living in this world. i just give you one quick example of it, and if you're parents, you should really pay attention to this at all of our campuses. A study was commissioned by the uh, youth uh, network called Nickelodeon. Uh, in order for them to sell to advertisers, they wanted to prove that kids watch a lot of TV. And this study was commissioned, and it was discovered that children born after 2005, who are now less than nine years of age, or who were less than nine years of age, watch an average of 35 hours of television a week. All right, now that's gone up since 2009. In another study the BBC has done, that's gone up. That's not the time they're looking at their tablets or you're letting them play with your cell phone, all right? That's just TV time, 35 hours a week. Now I ask you, what, what kind of message are they getting from the television? What kind of media is the message putting into those young and impressionable minds as a result of that that causes them to have the views that they will have about God, about themselves, about others, about life? And it's like we need to sober up to it. If we don't like what's going on in the world right now, if you want to scream, get a grip, part of it starts with us getting a grip. Part of it starts with us, especially as parents. And grandparents who can influence our grandchildren, making sure they're getting their information by which they're forming the thoughts, ideas, and images from the right source. Now, God, in his infinite grace and mercy, didn't want to leave us hanging out here filled with a mind of, of lies. And so God sent his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to change our thinking, to change our lives, to bring us back into relationship with himself. Just one verse comes to mind, John chapter 1, verse 15, New Living Translation, it says, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. The law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is God himself is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And then Jesus goes on and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but what? But through me. So what I want you to do under the serpent is I want you to write Jesus. And what Jesus does is Jesus comes and he brings to us once again the love of God and the truth of God. And those who will surrender to him, those who will place their life in him, have now the opportunity 
to have their minds, their thoughts, ideas, and images influenced once again the way God always intended to be influenced by his love and by his truth. And because of Christ's life and because of his death and because of his resurrection and because of the offer of his spirit into our lives, we have the possibility of actually canceling out the hate and the lies of the enemy. I love what Paul reminds us of in the scriptures. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, For he, meaning Christ, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. I love that, don't you? You know, spiritually, we are transferred by faith in Christ. We are transferred into God's kingdom where the atmosphere is ruled by God, where his love and his truth feed our minds and inform us to make wise decisions and to know how to think in this life. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you, which you do if you truly and sincerely have repented of your sins and accepted Christ as your Savior. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's what Paul says. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, my mind, your mind, and we're born this way because of our parents, Adam and Eve, our minds are already born corrupted. Our minds are born with a proclivity toward hate and toward lies, thinking the lies are the truth. Only Christ can change our mind. Only God can change your mind, but I've got to let him have control of my mind. I've got to let him take over. You say, how do you do that? Because it's one thing for me to say, have the mind of Christ, right? Just, okay, you've got Jesus in your life now. Now think differently. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to actually do it. And a whole book could be written on how, and books have been written on, how to change your thinking. But I want to talk about some things that we can enact right now in our lives begin to change our thinking. And so what I want you to do off here someplace on your paper, what you're, whatever you're writing on, is I want you to write the word vision. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to think, okay? Edina, I want you to think with me. If Christ was truly in control of your mind, if the Spirit really had control of your mind, I want you to have a vision in your mind, what would your life be like right now? Or maybe it is right now. But just, just write down a couple of characteristics, a couple of attributes, a couple of results. If Christ was in control of my mind, my thoughts, my ideas, my images right now, this is what my life would be like. What would you, what would you jot down? I mean, I can think of a few things. I would have a more peaceful mind. How about you? Probably a more joyful mind. How about you? How about a kinder mind? And you, could, you can fill in whatever you want to do, all right? But first, you've got to kind of get a vision of what my thinking, what my mind could be like if I really surrendered it to the Lord, what he could do in me or what he could do through me as a result of my yielding to his presence. But then there's another word I want you to write down, okay? 
And that word is intention. Intention. Because you can get a great, in, see, I can't talk and spell intention, right? You can have a great vision of what your mind can be or could be, but not, but just thinking about, well, yeah, boy, I could have a peaceful mind, I could have a joyful mind, I could have a kind mind, doesn't change your mind, okay? You can have the greatest vision in the world of what your life could be like or what somebody else's life, your family life could be like. But if you don't add some intentionality behind it, nothing's ever going to happen. And I want you to know that adding that intentionality is one of the greatest challenges you'll ever face in your life when it comes to spiritual change in your life. And I'll tell you why. Because we are born with a sinful mind to begin with. And I say this, and I'm going to say this, and I don't mean this humorously, so don't, don't take this the wrong don't take this the wrong way. I'm, being, I'm just being absolutely serious when I say this. All of us are born with brain damage. Spiritually speaking, all of us are born with brain damage. Spiritually speaking, none of us without Christ is ever in her or his own right mind. That is a definition of insanity. We're all born insane. So here's what I want you to do at Lori Park and Eddie Dynan and hear him pray. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm insane. All right? Now, okay, and they're like going, I knew that, right? I knew that, okay? Because, because you know you're insane if you're not always thinking lovingly. You know you're insane if you're not always thinking and acting by the truth. It's insane to think any other way or to act any other way. Our minds have a tendency, for instance, research tells us, to drift either to the past or to drift to the future. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, our, our minds are like buzzards, okay? When your mind, which it does over 50% of the time of the day, when your mind drifts to the past, do you know what it's thinking about? It's thinking about regrets, guilt, shame, things you wish you'd done differently. When it drifts to the future, it always drifts there with anxiety and worry and fear of what might be. That's how our minds work. So what I've got to do if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, which is really what we're talking about here, is I've got to learn what it means to live in the now, live in the moment. I've got to capture my mind now. I can't go back and relive the past, right? And I honestly can't transport myself in the future and live in the future, but I can live right now. And so the question becomes, right now in the life I'm living, right now, how can I let God capture my thoughts about right now? About him, about myself, about others, about my environment. In the now. And the Bible talks a lot about living in the now. And the Bible warns us about not living in the past. And Jesus says, don't worry about the future. Paul says, make the most of every moment right now. And to answer that question, how do I live in the now? you got to come back next weekend. So it would take me an enormous amount of time to be able to, you know, do that the rest of this weekend. But I don't want to leave you hungry, okay? I want to give you one thing we can all start to work with right now. And that is a word you can add, and that is awareness, all right? Awareness. Awareness of what? Awareness of God. Awareness of God. 
In order for me to have the mind of God, so to speak, the mind of Christ, it means I've got to live with this consciousness of God in the now. And how do I live with the consciousness of God in the now? How do, I, how do I live with an awareness of God's presence? Well, you can look up in nature and be aware of God's presence, what the theologians call natural revelation. We talked about it several sermons ago. But the greatest way to be aware of God in the now is God's word. So I want you to take God's word. Hopefully you have God's word with you. Either you have it you know, bound in leather or paper, or you've got it in an electronic, in electronic, in an electronic form. And I want you to just, I just want you to hold it for a moment, okay? And I want to ask you a question as you, as you hold it. When I say this is God's word, what does that mean to you? While you're pondering that, let me just read a couple of passages of scripture from Psalm 19, verse 7. It says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Psalm 119, these these are a compilation of verses. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Truly, I love your commands more than gold, even the finest gold. Each of your commandments is right. That is why I hate every false way. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. So when I say, what does God's word mean to you? What do you think of God's word? What do you, what do you think about God's word? I can tell you what Martin Luther thought about God's word. Martin Luther, the great reformer, He lived at a time where when a monk went into seminary their first year, they were given a Bible. Now, there weren't a lot of Bibles available, right? Because, you know, Gutenberg just kind of gotten around to the whole printing press thing. But they were given a Bible their first year. And then after the first year, you you know what their teachers did? They took the Bible away from them. They said, now we want you to read read the scholastics. We want you to read Aristotle. We want you now to spend the rest of your seminary education reading about what others have to say about God. And we want you to listen to the rituals and the traditions of the church because what the church says is just as important as God's word. And so all the church leaders, that's what they were doing. They were reading what everybody else said about God and said about God's word. And everybody that listened in the, in the congregations of those days just sat there and, and, and listened to whatever a monk or a priest said or a cardinal said or the pope said as being what God must have to say to all of us. What makes Luther so great is Luther said, I want my Bible back. <laughs> Sola Scriptura. I don't want to just read what Aristotle and others said. And he didn't really have a very good view of Aristotle later on. He said, I just want to read what God has to say. And that's what brought about the Reformation. He went back to the Bible and he said, that's what the Bible says. Hey, indulgences aren't right. Hey, a lot of what the church says isn't right. This is what God says. And he saw God's word as the breath of God caught uh, caught and put down on paper with ink. It was the breath of God put in ink. And Luther saw the word of God as, as the very presence of God because the word was uttered by God himself. That's what led to the Reformation. And I think we need a new Reformation. I think we've just gotten used to what everybody thinks about God. 
And writers want to write about God rather than going back and saying, well, what did God have to say to us in the first place? Awareness of God is realizing that the word of God, right, his love, his truth is available to me on a day-to-day basis, and I need to inform my mind with that truth. I need to inform my mind with that word. I need to take it in. Then the question becomes, when I think, right, when I have my thoughts, when I have my ideas, when I have my images, then, then they'll be under the control or the influence of God's spirit. Otherwise, I've got to ask some really important questions. For instance, I've got to ask questions like, how am I going to think about who God is if I don't think about who he is according to how he's revealed himself? Or how am I going to think about my image, my self-image? Or how am I going to think about you? Or how am I going to think about sexuality? Big issue in our culture today. Or how am I going to think about race? Or how am I going to think about the people who I don't want to like or who've hurt me? Or how am I going to think about politics? Or how am I going to think about what's right or what's wrong in life? If God doesn't tell me what the truth is, how am I going to think about all those things? I'm going to end up thinking about them by the serpent's lies and by his hate. And that's why the world's gone mad these days. So the question becomes, okay, well, how do I practice the awareness of God? The answer to that question is, you got to have intake. you got to have intake of the Word of God. And I'm sorry to say so many people who call themselves Christians today, they don't regularly intake this. They intake a lot of media. They intake a lot of outside stimuli, but they don't take a lot of this in. What does it mean to take this in? I've got a one-day challenge I want to give you this coming, this coming week. And it's very simple. We're going to put it on the blog, okay? The scriptures I read, we'll put on the blog so you can go back and see them because I know I read quite a few. The list I just gave you of how you're going to think, we'll put it on my blog, on the website, and then this one-day challenge. So for one day, I want to challenge you just one day this, this coming week. Just one day, Okay? I was going to make it three, but I thought, that's ah, probably too much. We'll make it one day, all right? I want you one day this week to turn off the noise. Other than what you've got to do for work on your computer, I want you to shut down the computer. I want you to shut down your, your uh, iPods, whatever it is that you, you stick in your ear to listen to music with. I want you to shut down the television. I want you one day to go noiseless other than what you absolutely must do, and social media doesn't count. I want you to try it for one day. You may get the shakes, all right? It's okay. I want you to try it for one day. Secondly, I want you to open up God's Word and read one chapter. Read one psalm each, you know, just read one psalm that day, okay? Read one chapter out of a gospel that day. Read one chapter out of Isaiah that day. Not that hard. Number two, I want you to make sure you have a journal with you, okay? I want you to make sure you have a journal because here's why. Number Uh, Number four, I want you to, I called that number two, didn't I? So one, two, three. Number four, I want you to answer the question, what is God saying? So as you're going, as you're reading the scripture, I want you to underline or highlight phrases, words, or verses that speak to you. Okay? Then I want you to write those phrases or verses in your journal. 
And I just want you to ask the question, what's God saying to me right now? What's he trying to tell me? How's he trying to encourage me? How's he trying to challenge me? And then, number five, I want you to ask the question, what does this mean for my life right now? You only know your life. And then number six, I want you to have a conversation with God. That's called prayer. Where you take what God just said to you and you bring it back to him, whether it's in praise or confession or, or obedience or, ask, or claiming a promise or provision, whatever it is, I just want you to bring it back to God in a conversation. And then I want you to share it with a friend or a family. Okay? Oh, we'll put this on the blog so you can go back and look at it, okay? It just, and many of you do this already, and God bless you, but you know, if you don't have a regular pattern, I want to challenge you to do that. You say, why are you challenging me to do this? Because I want, I want you to get in the practice at least one day of what it's like when you give God space in your mind. And you listen to him, and you become aware of him. And you take what he says to you, and you begin to think about it, and you, you pray about it, and you begin to then act on it. That's what I want you to do. So that our minds, right, come back under the control of God. Now, imagine what would happen if you did that every day. Do you think it would change your mind? Think it might change how you think? Think it might change how your family thinks? Let's pray. Father God, we humble ourselves before you. And we pray and ask God that you would help us to be able to receive this challenge from you. God, I pray that you help us to be able to not only receive this challenge from you, but to put it into practice in our life. Lord, some of us, our minds are so jammed full of sounds and messages from the culture and from work and from school and from home and from every direction, God. And honestly, Father, our thoughts are jumbled, our ideas are scattered, our images, Lord, are not very pleasing. And we just, we're tired of it, God. We're tired of it. And we ask you to forgive us. God, we're asking you in this little mini-series we're doing to please break through all the noise and all the clutter and bring us back to the place of being still and hearing from you and letting you have control of our minds so that, God, everything else in our life will fall into place. Lord, speak to us about these things, we pray. In Christ's name.